Welcome, welcome, welcome into Moments of Genius here on CMRU.ca by Students For You. My name is Peter Roman, and this is episode two of the winter semester quarantine edition of my show. Today, as I mentioned last week, two sports I didn't get to talk about last week. Basketball and soccer will be talked about a lot with a Champions League draw recap that I didn't get to do before the end of the fall semester. And I'm also going to look at the James Harden trade that went down in the NBA because that was a huge blockbuster involving four teams. But my lead today, NFL playoffs, specifically the NFL Conference Championship round. We had the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Green Bay Packers on the NFC side and the Buffalo Bills and the Kansas City Chiefs on the AFC side. So I'll start with the NFC. Tampa Bay and Green Bay, these two teams facing off in a rematch of week six, when Tampa Bay won 38 to 10. And this game was a lot closer, but the winner was the same. Tampa Bay won 31 to 26, the final score over the Green Bay Packers at Lambeau Field. This game was really entertaining and had a lot of really important things to it. And there's a lot I want to discuss. And so I'm going to start with the Tampa Bay side of things, and then I'm going to move to the Green Bay side of things, perspective-wise. So, starting with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They won the game. They are off to the Super Bowl for the first time since 2002. And this is after not making the playoffs for 13 years. Their last playoff appearance was 2007. And to me, Tampa Bay's game here, there's kind of two different statements. And I believe both of them are 100% true. Because the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Tom Brady is not the primary reason they beat Green Bay on Sunday. But Tom Brady is the primary reason they're in the Super Bowl. And I think both those statements are very true. Because in this game, the offense was obviously exceptional for Tampa Bay in the first half. They scored a really impressive opening touchdown drive. And then Leonard Fournette with a fantastic run where he did a really cool spin move to get in the end zone to make it 14-7. to and then at the end of the half, one of the really big moments, and I'll talk about the Green Bay side of this in just a little bit, but Tom Brady's throw to Scotty Miller was unbelievable. Lining up from about the 40 and just let it rip. Miller got in behind Kevin King, and it was a perfect throw down the left-hand side in the end zone, and it put Tampa Bay up 21-10. to they were able to punch in after a Green Bay turnover to make it 28-10, to 10, only for Green Bay to rally back, but they were able to close it out in the end thanks to their defense because even though Tom Brady had three interceptions in the second half, only one of those interceptions actually led to points for the Packers because the other two interceptions, Tampa Bay's defense came out and got three and out stops on the Packers' offense. Huge credit all around to the Tampa Bay defense, but, but specifically to the edge rushers, Jason Pierre-Paul and Shaq Barrett, who both came to play. Those guys, they wreaked havoc on Aaron Rodgers all game long. And so Tampa Bay's defense deserves a ton of credit for the win. But the reason I say that Tom Brady's the primary reason they're in the Super Bowl is because 
he's taken a team that was seven and nine a year ago, a team that had hadn't been in the playoffs for thirteen years. This was a franchise that all they knew was losing over the last, you know, <laughs> over the last little while of their franchise's existence. And Tom Brady goes in there with his six Super Bowl rings and basically inspires the entire team and gets them to come on this journey with him to go to the Super Bowl. Because, and I know Tom Brady didn't play his best game this past Sunday, but there's something really special about how he is able to make everybody better on that team. Whether it's in practice, whether it's on the sideline, whether it's on the field, Brady makes everybody better in this Tampa Bay team. And they would be nowhere near where they are right now without him. Because, you know, for anybody trying to hold out some kind of hatred against Tom Brady, and granted, if you're a division rival of his, right, <laughs> you know, maybe maybe not the fondest memories if you're a Bills fan or a Dolphins fan, but at this point, I feel like Tom Brady's just something to marvel at because he is accomplishing things that I don't think were ever thought possible because and this stat is crazy to me but there have been three quarterbacks that have started a Super Bowl game age 40 or older Tom Brady Tom Brady and oh wow Tom Brady the only one and not only that but at 43 years old he went on the road, and I mean Washington wasn't that impressive, but he went. They went on the road to beat the Saints in New Orleans. They went on the road and beat the number one seed Green Bay Packers at Lambeau, and Brady went and led a warm weather team to go to the cold and win. I mean, if that isn't all-time greatness, if that isn't all-time leadership, if that isn't all-time just exceptional, you know. Just exceptional command of football. I don't know what is. So, obviously, he deserves a ton of credit. And so do the entire Tampa Bay Buccaneers team. Because I think one of the biggest takeaways I had from this game, from the Tampa Bay side of things, had to do with the idea that Tampa Bay was going to go out there in this game and be unbelievably physical with Green Bay. They were going to physically dominate this team. And we've seen teams do this before in the past, right? Like I think of the Seattle Seahawks were a really good example of this. But my goodness, like it was really really something to to marvel at. Tampa Bay was more physical and they went out and earned this win. And so, full credit to them. All right, on to the Green Bay Packers side of things. So for Green Bay, obviously, the story a lot different. They lost the game. This is now their fourth consecutive loss in NFC Championship games because they won the Super Bowl in 2011. And since then, they have now lost to Seattle. They've lost to Atlanta. They've lost to San Francisco and now Tampa Bay in the conference championship game. So what happened? What went wrong for Green Bay in this game? Well, the answer is a lot, but there's a couple key moments I want to point out. So the first one, of course, is that end of the first half touchdown from Brady to Scotty Miller that put Tampa Bay up 21 to 10. 
And the reason why is because this specific play reminded me a lot of a game that happened during the regular season. And this was between the Raiders and the Jets. Now, the Jets at this point in the season were still winless. And they employed a certain style of defense that made you think that they were trying to lose the game on purpose because they allowed the Raiders to get wide open in the end zone on deep shots when they all they had to do was just make sure they didn't get in the end zone. And this play for Green Bay was very similar, where all you had to do was just not allow Tampa Bay to get in the end zone. And they let Tampa Bay get in the end zone. <laughs> they basically just did a terrible job trying to keep Tampa Bay from making a play. It was a horrible play call by Mike Patton, the defensive coordinator, and so Green Bay suffered for it. And then, you know, I think that decision at the end of the first half would be a lot more magnified if what happened later in the if sorry, if what happened in the fourth quarter didn't happen basically. Because in the fourth quarter, the game was 31 to 23. Green Bay had the ball and was driving down the field, going to try to tie this football game. And the offense got the ball to about the eight-yard line of Tampa Bay. And first and goal, incomplete. Second and goal, incomplete. Third and goal, incomplete. So it was fourth and goal from the eight-yard line. Now, for most people, when you are faced with a decision, you know, especially like, you know, it's kind of in any sport, right? When you're faced with a decision, it's about trying to think about what decision most favors your team. And so for Green Bay in this situation, they had two choices. Choice number one was to try and let Aaron Rodgers tie the game. Their MVP, Hall of Fame quarterback, you know, guy through almost like 50 touchdowns this year. That guy. Or you could trust your defense to make a stop against Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay offense. Hmm, tough decision, tough decision. On one hand, you have a defense that has given up a lot of yards... And they're facing the GOAT. But on the other hand, you're giving the ball to your MVP Hall of Fame quarterback. Hmm, tough decision, tough decision. Well, Matt LaFleur of the Packers, their head coach, he decided to put the hands, put the fate of the game in the hands of the defense. Because he kicked a field goal to make it 31-26 instead of going for it for fourth and goal from the eight. And I, I'm not going to lie, when I was watching this game, and I, I'm not a Packers fan. I'm the first, well, I wouldn't say that because I'm an Eagles fan, so it's not the furthest thing from a Packers fan, but I was screaming. I couldn't believe that Matt LaFleur took Aaron Rodgers off the field and put on a field goal kicker because Green Bay needed a touchdown either way. And so why not let your Hall of Fame quarterback try? Right? If you lose with Aaron Rodgers on the field, then so be it. Right? You lost. It happens. But to not even try, not even let him just try on that fourth and goal from the eight, like who knows what happens. Maybe you get a pass interference. Who knows? But to not even let them try is insanity to me. And I couldn't believe LaFleur made that decision because 
That has to be one of the worst coaching decisions I've ever seen in a big playoff game. Maybe not the worst, but it is very much up there. That was a horrible, horrible decision by Matt LaFleur. And he's going to hear about it all summer long. And you know what? He deserves to hear about it because it was terrible. And so, you know, I don't know if Green Bay actually wins the game, if even if they go for it. But you have to feel like they at least would have had a chance to win the game if they would have gone for it versus not going for it kind of eliminated your chance to some extent. I'm not going to talk about the refereeing stuff in this game because I think that whole argument was stupid from really jealous Brady fans and jealous Packers fans because the penalty at the end was so obvious it's not even worth talking about. And the lack of calls throughout the game, to be honest, my thought is referees you know in like i don't think they were good by any means in the tampa green bay game but they didn't influence the result of this game they wanted to they wanted the right result to happen and the right result happened tampa bay went in and earned the win simple as that but anyway tampa bay onto the super bowl they're the first team ever to host their own super bowl because the super bowl is in tampa bay this year so very exciting about that and who their opponent would be would be decided in the AFC Championship game. You had the Buffalo Bills and the Kansas City Chiefs. Kansas City won 38 to 24. Again, I'll split these up. I'll start with the Kansas City side and work my work my way to the Buffalo side. So, on the Kansas City side of things, I think the story is pretty simple in this game. Number 1, Patrick Mahomes had some insane painkillers because he seemed completely unaffected by the turf toe. And he seemed completely unaffected by the fact that he suffered a concussion last week. So I don't know what kind of painkillers he had, but they were pretty good. I will say that. And then more importantly, Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey are unguardable. And Buffalo had no answer. Tyreek Hill had 172 yards receiving on nine catches. Travis Kelsey had 13 catches, 118 yards, and two touchdowns. If you're wondering about the other uh, notable players on the Kansas City Chiefs, Brian Pringle, the wide receiver, he had 22 receiving yards. Daryl Williams had nine. McCole Hardman had four. And then Hardman had 50 rushing yards on a sweep play. Daryl Williams had 52 rushing yards. Edwards Alaire had seven. Mahomes had five. So if you add all of that up, you add up all the numbers from all the players who didn't get to all, all the players on the team who aren't Tyree Kill and who aren't Travis Kelsey as far as rushing and receiving. It's still less than Tyree Kill. <laughs> that's how insane his performance was. So to me, that's a pretty simple story from Kansas City. They had Mahomes, who obviously, you know, had some pretty good painkillers. But more importantly, Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey were just completely unstoppable in this game. On the Buffalo side, it wasn't great. The run game really was completely non-existent for them. Singletary averaged 2.8 yards a carry. He only had six touches as well. Receiving-wise, Cole Beasley, what a warrior. He played apparently through a broken fibula, which... Can't, can't imagine what kind of pain he was in, speaking of good painkillers. Stephon Diggs at 77 yards, which was solid, but not his best. And then he had a few other okay performances, but 
Josh Allen was the key player in this game for Buffalo. And Allen was okay. I don't think he was terrible in this game. But Buffalo too many times failed to convert in the red zone. And then Sean McDermott, their head coach, decided to kick field goals instead of going for touchdowns. And if there's one thing we've learned about just, you know, football in general, if you want to beat a team with an offense as good as the Kansas City Chiefs, you have to score touchdowns. You cannot kick field goals. It is pretty much just suicide to kick field goals and expect to win against a team with such a great with such a great group of offensive players. So to me that's the story of the game. Pretty simple. For Buffalo though, on one hand, I, it should be noted that they had a fantastic season and there is no shame in the Bills losing this game in my opinion. And for Kansas City, they're the defending champs and they're going back to the Super Bowl. And I'm not going to talk too much about the Super Bowl this week because I'm going to save that for next week with a Super Bowl preview. But what I will say about the Super Bowl, uh, just really quickly, Kansas City under Patrick Mahomes has won every single game they've played, except one. And the only game they lost was the AFC Championship game two years ago against, oh, checking my notes, Tom Brady. So that should be fun. Brady's the only quarterback that's beaten Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs so far in his short career. So Kansas City, Tampa Bay, two weeks time. Very excited. Like I said, Super Bowl preview will be next week. Very excited for that. Okay, on to basketball. I'm going to move to the NBA and specifically the James Harden trade because I didn't get to talk about that. And that trade, of course, was humongous. So here we go. I'm going to make this as quick as possible to lay out what, every, what everybody got in this trade. So the Brooklyn Nets receive James Harden from the Rockets and a 2024 second round pick from Cleveland. And then the Rockets receive Karis LeVert, Radonius Karukas, three first-round picks from the Rockets, and a first-round pick from Cleveland, which is actually Milwaukee's pick. Those are all unprotected. And then they also get four pick swaps from the Rockets in 2021, 2023, 2025, and 2027. The reason why they need the pick swaps thing is because of how the NBA's rules are with trades. And then the Rockets also receive Dante Exum in this trade as well. And then Karis LeVert actually got traded to the Pacers. And so Victor Oladipo is actually the player that the Rockets are going to be getting because it was kind of a separate trade that got added on at the end. And so Oladipo is actually going to the Rockets. Karis LeVert is going to the Indiana Pacers along with a second round pick. And then the Cleveland Cavaliers receive Jarrett Allen, Tarian Prince from the Brooklyn Nets. So that's the trade. It's a lot. And here are my winners and losers. I'll start with the two smaller trades, which involve Cleveland and Indiana. So I'll start with the Pacers. The Pacers trade is pretty simple. They get Karis LeVert and a second, and they sent out Victor Oladipo. That's pretty much the trade for them. And so I'm not sure if they win the trade or not. And the reason why I say that is because of the health situation. So 
every player when they're involved in a trade they do a medical which makes sense right they do a medical and you know make sure there isn't any you know weird injuries or anything like that well in Levert's case there there wasn't a weird injury but there was a medical problem and so it wasn't wasn't great as far as like number one i will say it is good that it was caught because obviously there is a chance that you know it would have missed otherwise but karis lavert is not going to be able to play basketball for a little bit but he had and i'm just i'm just making sure i get this 100 percent right i don't want to say anything incorrect but lavert had a mass on his kidney and so that's what they found in the medical so he's not playing right now but he's expected to be back apparently which is great and so that's good but it's also good that this was caught early because it could have gotten a lot worse if it didn't get caught so on that sense kind of nice and so actually uh news update as of as of yesterday actually i missed this karis levert has had cancer surgery on his kidney, full recovery expected, so that's fantastic. Anyway, so I'm giving Indiana an incomplete. That's the long way of describing I'm giving them an incomplete because I'm not sure what Levert's going to give them yet as far as production. What I do know is that Oladipo was a good player on an expiring contract who they wanted to trade. So they got some value for him, but we're not quite sure what they're going to get yet. So we'll have to keep an eye on that one. So I'm giving Indiana an incomplete. As for Cleveland, I'm giving them a small win because Cleveland basically sent out a first round pick from Milwaukee that's going to be in the 20s in 2022 because Milwaukee's still going to be a good team. And then they get Jared Allen and Tarion Prince. Now, Tarion Prince is kind of just a rotational role player, but Jared Allen is a very solid starting caliber center. And so, and he's also 22 years old. So the Cavaliers basically gave up very little and probably oh, Dante, Dante Exum was also part of this from Cleveland, but I don't think that's that. Uh, <laughs> I don't think anyone's that heartbroken about losing Exum, considering how uh, Colin Sexton and Darius Garland have played for Cleveland this year. But the point being, they got Jared Allen, who is a 22-year-old starting caliber center for probably you know the next 10-ish years if they can sign him to an extension and stuff. So. I think it's a small win for Cleveland, right? Cleveland isn't getting insane value for this, but I would say their team got a little bit better. So I'm giving Cleveland a small win in their end of the trade. All right, Nets and Rockets time. So here we go. On the Nets side of things, I'm giving them a... If I could give them a letter grade, I'd give them a D because... They got James Harden, who is the best player in this trade, and I don't think anyone would deny that. But I just don't see the fit with this team, because Harden is a ball-dominant scorer who's going to be playing with Kyrie Irving, another ball-dominant scorer, who's going to be playing with Kevin Durant, who's another ball-dominant scorer. And in the NBA, typically those trades don't work when you don't have players that are willing to play off the ball and, you know, willing to kind of ease off and like be a third wheel and stuff like that so it's possible this could work the offense for brooklyn will probably be insane 
I'm not sold on the defensive end of how this will work, but they're going all in on a championship. And so I do have to respect the boldness of the Nets, even if I don't understand the fit as much. And then finally, the Rockets end. So the Rockets, I'm going to give them a small win because I know they're trading Harden, who's the best player in this trade. But those picks, and, and I'm going to, you know, Oladipo's a nice player and all that, but I'm going to more focus on the draft picks here. So we'll start with the unprotected picks. So they get Milwaukee's pick in 2022. It's not really going to be worth much. The, the Nets pick in 2022, again, probably not worth much. The Nets pick in 2024 might have a little more value, but I don't see it as much. But it's that 2026 pick that could be really valuable because... By that point, when you think about how old James Harden, Kevin Durant, and Kyrie Irving are, they might be on the wrong end of the standings by then. And so that 2026 pick could be valuable. And so in that same vein, with the pick swaps, eh, the 2021 pick swap is useless. Like, the Rockets are going to have a worse record than the Nets. So that one's kind of useless. But 2023, probably not a lot of value. 2025 maybe a little bit, 2027 could have a lot of value in that pick swap. So I'm giving the Rockets a small win. I'm giving the Cavs a small win. I'm giving the Pacers an incomplete and I'm giving the Nets, I'm not calling it a loss, but I'm calling it a neutral grade because I can't really say they did well, but I can't really say they did badly, if that makes sense. But anyway, just my thoughts on that. And my final segment today, a little bit of soccer. So the Premier League and the Champions League are the two things I want to talk about briefly today. So in the Premier League, we've seen a pretty drastic standings change here because Liverpool have stumbled with two losses in their last five and the other three being draws. So they're winless in five. And we've seen West Ham surge into the top four, amazingly. Liverpool do have a game in hand on them, but West Ham is one point ahead. Leicester City is chilling in third place, still very much in title contention. Manchester United is currently sitting in second place. And Manchester City, if they hold on to the result today that they're playing against West Brom, which they probably will then they will be one point ahead with 41 points to Manchester United's 40. City, by the way, would have won their last five games in the Premier League. So we've seen some drop-off from some teams who have fallen out. Chelsea, by the way, has fired their manager, so not great there. But nonetheless, credit to Man City for coming back. Liverpool desperately need a centre-back in this window. And who knows, maybe Man United can win their first since Alex Ferguson. Very exciting, though. And finally, the Champions League. The Champions League draw happened in December, and I didn't get a chance to react to it. So, really quickly, my reactions. Mönchengladbach's playing Manchester City. That, I think, Man City has to feel really good about. Bayern Munich's playing Lazio. I think Bayern Munich has to feel really good about it. Chelsea is playing Atletico. I think Atletico has to feel better about that draw. Leipzig is playing Liverpool. If Liverpool figures out how to play again, <laughs> then I think they're probably okay with that draw. Juventus, I think, are happy to get Porto. Barcelona, I think, are really pissed off to get PSG. Sevilla and Dortmund will be a fun, exciting matchup. And Real Madrid, I'm not sure how thrilled they should be about getting Atalanta. That, I think there's a little bit of upset potential in 
that one. Anyway, that's it. That's all I got for today. I want to thank everybody for listening in. Next week, Super Bowl preview for Chiefs and Buccaneers. But once again, to everybody, be happy, be healthy, stay safe.